currently 17 degrees, humidity 63%. News and weather, RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. On today's program, we're looking at how the tourism and catering industries did over Christmas. The first since pandemic restrictions were lifted and borders fully reopened. According to the Immigration Department, Hong Kongers made more than 1.32 million outbound trips during the Christmas break over the past three days, almost three times higher than the number of arrivals here during the same period. The Hong Kong Tourism Association believes many residents had chosen to spend the festive break on the mainland or overseas. And because of this, it's no surprise that some in the restaurant trade says the catering industry did worse over this Christmas period than last year. So what do you think of the Christmas festivities this year? Has there been a structural change in people's spending habits? And how can Hong Kong attract more visitors? After 9.45, we'll find out how artificial intelligence can help junior doctors better detect colorectal cancers. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Annie Fonda, the Executive Director of the Travel Industry Authority, J.R. Robertson, director of El Grande Group, and Glenn McCartney, associate professor of tourism at the University of Macau. Good morning to you all, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Ms. Fonda, good morning. Good morning. So, what's your assessment of the tourism situation over the uh, Christmas break, and, and how does it compare to the pre pandemic Christmas holiday period? Actually, according to our latest figures in December so far, uh, we have more than 3,000 tour groups coming from mainland, involving some 95,000 tourists. Just over the past few days, actually, from the 23rd to the 25th, we had a big group, uh, tour group, which consists of 10,000 visitors from China, from various provinces. Uh, the daily average of mainland inbound tour groups in December is roughly 180 to 190 tours per day which amount to 6,600 headcounts. So we expect the figures to be stable over the coming months, actually. All right. So are you happy with this figure? Um, the figures are coming quite stable, and uh, we are very happy. More people are coming, uh, not even China, but from various uh, Asian, South Asian countries as well, like um, Malaysia, Philippines, uh, South Korea, etc., but uh, in China, they have the Spring Festival coming up, which lasts from the 26th of January to the 5th of March, when people will go back to their hometown to celebrate the Chinese New, uh, New Year. So we expect there will be fewer tour groups visiting Hong Kong during this Spring Festival. Right. So we have the tour groups coming into Hong Kong, but uh, are, are the people on these tours, uh, are they spending enough? Do you have any, any figures on that? Uh, they normally stay in Hong Kong around two days, and they there are also one-day tour as well. Uh, these tourists, they are coming to Hong Kong, of course, you know, for sightseeing and also for shopping. So their spending is quite uh, stable as well. Um, I think the figures are improving when you compare with pandemic. 
All right. Ms. Fonda, good morning. Um, morning. You've mentioned mainland and you've mentioned Southeast Asia. Is that, do I take it from the absence of reference that long haul is still uh, recovering slowly? I think it is recovering. Uh, as far as I could see, uh, I, you know, visited uh, Hollywood Road the other day in Central. I saw tourists groups from, you know, uh, European countries as well, but they are not that many. I think because people in Europe, they tend to plan their holiday well in advance. So hopefully next year, probably in mid-year, we will see more and more coming. Right, so from recovering... Europe, from the States, yeah, recovering. recovering. but recovering slowly. Okay, and but they're the long-haul ones, aren't they? When they get here, they, they tend to spend quite a bit of money. Exactly. I think it all depends on all the um, corporations, say the airlines as well. You know, we have to get enough people to work to really welcome everybody from from the globe. All right. So let's go to uh, Mr. Robertson. Good morning. Uh, good so we just heard from uh, Ms. Fonda. She says uh, um, everything has been quite stable over the past uh, three days. Um, what was business like for you over the past few days? Well, uh, not so great. And uh, I actually contacted uh, three or four of my friends, friends from the uh, competitors in the industry, all of which deal in uh, Western concepts. And uh, pretty much... Uh, all but one. One of the uh, operators who operates basically in Hong Kong Island said that business over the three to four day weekend was uh, very good, but he had a lot of uh, uh, Merry Christmas uh, wishes from overseas, from regular customers. Then the rest of us, uh, I had one unit that didn't report, but my other six units that did report were down uh, on the same weekend a year ago, were down about uh, 16%. And I talked to some uh, guys in Central who said the same thing. They were 15 to 20 and very quiet in Central. And then uh, one of my competitors who operates on Hong Kong and Kowloon side said it's been the worst year and the worst Christmas he's had ever and struggling a lot. And he's got quite a few outlets. Now, that's the bad news. The good news, um, I went to the peak for lunch on Christmas Day and it was heaving. I mean, it was heaving. They were running out of food, and they were having two seatings at one, and again at three, and I think another one at five, and and the whole peak was just on fire with people, and et cetera. Yesterday, Boxing Day, I I went out to Stanley and to a regular restaurant that I go to, and he he was marveling. He said, gee, everybody's out here. It's been a weekend. He said, just killed the door. And I think it's a... What we have here is a carryover from uh, all the scare tactics that the government used regarding masks and whatever. And uh, so today, you still got this, I still see people on the street with masks today, and I see police officers wearing masks quite regularly here in Hong Kong. And I think there's a psychological effect that, uh, well, they still better go to the peak or go to the beach and, and, and get away from the urban district. So my outlets, which are predominantly in the urban districts, as I say, we're down about 16%. And uh, that's what somebody said in uh, Central. Uh, I saw where Lang Kwai Fung reported they had a very good evening. But uh, we're also hoping there's more concerts and things to attract more people. So I don't know. I've heard 1.6 million people left Hong Kong. Or I, get, I guess that includes Shenzhen and Thailand and whatever. Um, but it's not good. I mean, we've got a lot of people that are still going to Shenzhen for uh, restaurant uh, celebrations, massage, 
fingernails, uh, painting, whatever. And so they're, they're detracting from the Hong Kong economy. We're still struggling in Hong Kong. Hmm. And uh, I don't know what the government can do to reverse that trend. I think $100 coupons to be used after 6 p.m. at night is not the answer. Right. But uh, uh, somewhere the, the, the public at large is arbitraging the situation and avoiding some of the Hong Kong high prices to go to Shenzhen. And uh, I guess those that didn't want to go, they're up at the peak spending a lot of money. And there's a lot of money rolling around Stanley yesterday. Are we competitive enough? Well, yeah, Michael, I think that that's quite quite obvious. The uh, the cost of raw materials in the China side are probably a bit less, but they, they too use some uh, imported European, uh, Australian products, whatever. But then when you get to the, the cost of rent for an operator and you get the cost of labor for an operator, well, Hong Kong can't compete. That's why the people are going. All right. Which ultimately says, what ultimately says is that the landlords are charging too much money and the property values are overstated. All right, so let's uh, just uh, go quickly back to uh, Miss Fonda first, because I, I know you need to rush off very soon. And um, before you do that, um, what do you think of what uh, Mr. Robertson has just said? He's talking about uh, many, uh, many people from Hong Kong that are going to Shenzhen to celebrate instead. Um, what's your view on that? How can we reverse that trend, and how can we attract more visitors to Hong Kong? I think, for my perspective, for a lot of the, for a lot of the. Um, newcomers to Hong Kong, especially the mainland inbound tours, you know, their favorite scenic points is always, you know, the peak where they can see our beautiful harbor, avenue of stars, Wong Tai Sin Temple and Repulse Bay. But, you know, for the, and these are for the newcomers, but for the regular visitors, we do really need new attractions. We do need innovations so that we can attract, you know, more people to come to Hong Kong. I think the travel industry uh, practitioners, they need, really need to use their imaginations. You know, all these scenic points, you know, people have been there before, so it's nothing new. Maybe they need to explore, you know, more places. Um, they need to think of some, you know, really uh, new sort of activities for people, you know, to, to explore Hong Kong. Right, such as night markets, is that what you're talking about? I don't know. You know, um, of course, the government is doing a lot in, you know, for the night markets, but Hong Kong got a lot to explore. You know, it's not, it's not only the nighttime. You know, daytime, you've got a lot of places which people, you know, people like Yama Tea, you have a lot of really interesting shops. Maybe, you know, we, we do need to think about new innovations. All right. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Annie Fonda, the Executive Director of the Travel Industry Authority. All right. Um, let's go to uh, Professor McCartney. Good morning. Hello there. Good morning. Hi. Good so, morning, so, Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So uh, we heard from uh, Mr. Robertson about uh, how many travelers or, or many, many residents in Hong Kong, they've been uh, going to uh, the mainland to uh, celebrate. Um, what's the situation like in Macau? I mean, are, are you seeing the well, same kind of trend? Well, and in fact, many, several Hong Kong, many Hong Kong people are coming to Macau too. I mean, this is this is the the issue too. Like, is the appeal of the, of the city? We we had about um, between the twenty third and twenty fifth. I see a statistic. We had about three hundred sixty three thousand visitors, so around about a hundred and twenty thousand a day, mostly from mainland China, mostly from Guangdong. But I, I say about a quarter, maybe more, from Hong Kong. So our visitation is very high, and there's an, an expectation that sort of that will also. Uh, 
um, have an impact into, for example, occupancies going 90% plus and so forth. Mm. Even with our hotel inventory increasing in the last three years by 8,000 rooms. So, we, I mean, we, 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 we are doing, you know, there's optimistic. I was walking around the streets a few days ago around the St. Paul's ruins and the, the square was absolutely packed. The small eateries are queues. So there's a lot of buzz. Um, you know, and the Macau government has spent a lot of effort and time to create a very, very festive atmosphere of light shows. So uh, there's lots of pockets around Macau, Taipa and Kalawan. We have this festive feeling and a lot of uh, uh, mainland Chinese and Hong Kong people are going to these places because the atmosphere around the eateries, so it's not so much the, the, the restaurants and the bars, but it's also around that sort of that, that um, circumference and these little historical spots. There's a lot of festive feeling and that has been very positive. It seems to be very localised. I mean, JR was talking about uh, the peak being very busy um, and Stanley being very busy. Um, and also uh, a couple of my children went over to watch the firework display uh, from Chim Sa Choi and the, and the streets were heaving. In fact, traffic was stopped, virtually stopped for about half an hour because there's so many people crossing the road to get into a good position. But at the same time, the numbers don't lie. A lot of, a lot of people have left town, including, as you mentioned, coming to Macau. There's been talk of a, a sort of revenge travel post-COVID, that people were cooped up uh, for so long. They just had to get on a plane or a boat or a bus or a ship. Do you think we're coming to the end of the revenge travel? I think I think you're right, Mike. I mean, we, I mean January, February, earlier this year, we had Chinese year. We, we've seen that even globally, this, this issue of called pent-up demand after COVID-19, where people wanted to go on holidays. And there's a huge surge of, of visitation. To your point, we're probably coming to a point where there's a level of normalization and travel and tourism now, right now, where people are now get back into what we call normal travel, where, yeah, the, the we went through that phase. Um, I, I mean, I mean, I, so to your point, it's, you know, Christmas, it's, it's a normal festival now. Um, but, um, yeah, to your point, I think, yes, the, the, the pent-up demand is probably dying, dying down a little bit. So the prospects for next year should start to be a little better? Yes, because, we got, I mean, we're seeing a level of normalisation where we probably, in next year, we'll return to 2019 in terms of gaming uh, revenues, in terms of visitation numbers. Um, so to that point, yes, I think we were going to be... That, that, that we've been through this year of like you know getting back getting some of the bottlenecks for example the the labor issues back on track um you know some of our logistics suppliers um and, and, and various other bits so, you know that those those have been some of the challenges for the first half of the year but again to your point i think we're we're normalizing now with travel and tourism All right jr how about your views of next year uh, sorry, Mike. Uh, one more time. Yeah, what are you thinking for next year? Are we are we going to recover a bit more now? But life back to normal after the revenge travel surge has run out. Uh, I'm not real sure. I, I think the revenge travel is is becoming a norm. <laughs> People are just really enjoying getting out, and we were so restricted and harshly so for quite some time. So. I'm not so positive about that, but uh, we're certainly hopeful, and uh, I'm not sure landlords will lower the rent, but uh, I'm certainly hopeful that uh, uh, times will be better. We we can only pray that that happens. What more could the government do, do you think? 
to encourage yeah, tourism, encourage people to get out? I don't know what the government can do. I, I think they've been throwing darts at the wall or throwing gumballs at the wall or anything that sticks they're, they're happy with. And, and I think, generally speaking, not much of it's working. I mean, coupons and late-night dining and let's get Temple Street going again after it took us 20 years to close it up. And uh, I, I don't in, – in Harbor uh, – Harbor, not Harbor Fest, but uh, – um, Whatever, having things down by the harbor and then on weekdays, Friday night, Saturday night, those things are competing with the restaurants that are struggling to stay alive. So I, I'm not sure, and I don't have a solution for it. I mean, we just need more people. And the one comment about people coming to Hong Kong, I, I do have some friends at uh, Disney, and they tell me the Disney part has just been great. They're doing great sales, but people are coming in, they're staying at the Disney Hotel, they're, they're dedicating their two-day, three-day holiday, taking their children to, to Disney, and they don't see the rest of Hong Kong. How do we get them out of there into Western restaurants? I'm not very sure about that, but I guess even local Cantonese restaurants uh, could also use more I, more visitors. I guess the Disney people are thinking the other way around. How can we get them out of the urban area? How can we get them off the peak tram and <laughs> get them out here? You're right. It's definitely a tug of war on that one. Right. And, and Professor McCartney, I mean, earlier, uh, Mr. Robertson, he was talking about how uh, restaurants in Hong Kong over the Christmas period, they uh, uh, they, they uh, had their business reduced by, by around uh, 16%. Um, do you have any figures for, for restaurants in Macau? Are they also suffering a similar sort of a loss in business? I don't, Janice. I don't have the numbers yet on, on uh, I'm expecting those out in the next few days in terms of, well, we also look at the gaming revenues as well as, as, as a sort of a yardstick. But I mean, we don't, we don't, um, I don't have any numbers on the, uh, the, the spending across the, non- all I could see was a visual walking around some of these uh, popular spots where I can just see there is a, you know, there is crowds of people, there are queues to small little eateries and then also very, you know, and in good integrated resorts. So there's a lot of volume. Now, how that will translate down into spend, we'll find out in the next few days. Right. But the gambling revenues uh, should be a good measure, a good indicator. Normally that was, yes, Mike. So, you know, we're expecting, for example, uh, you know, the two billion plus as we, for example, um, uh, which we got in August, which was our, our biggest one. So we're expecting those numbers to, to be sustained. Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't been to Macau for a long time. I'm mm. sorry. I must... I must come soon. <laughs> well, I think to your point, very important. I was in Hong Kong week before, and I go a couple of times on the on the bridge on the bus, and I always look at the touch points in terms of like the content with the customer. Where can you get information to the customer on arrival into Hong Kong and so forth? Because I I make my way down to Central, so I'm, I'm always sort of not switched off in terms of how to do marketing at that, you know, in terms of getting information about. So I think to your point, yes, is, is a lot, the issues of getting more and more information to the to the, the traveler and tourism at these various touch points, because I make the journey quite a bit from back and forward from Macau across that bridge, which is a substantial uh, port of call. Even Macau people, a lot of Macau people are going to Hong Kong too. So getting the information, for example, to Hong Kong, Macau people, many, many now have these double number plates. So there's a lot of volume now coming across the bridge, for example, as a case study in, in terms of, um, and a lot of people from mainland China using that bridge now too. So that has become a, f- a focus point now of, uh, of visitation both ways. So th- th- that will be an interesting... Um, it certainly will. Well. More, more, I think, than the, the ferry. I was told by relatives who did go to Macau that, in fact, the ferries are still very reduced frequency, maybe once an hour at various parts of the day, whereas it used to be, what, every 15 minutes? 
I think you're right. My, I mean, I took a ferry too a few weeks ago. So the issue is on price point, you know, too. Perhaps I mean, people people know that you know the the, the bus is sixty six dollars and the and the ferry is two hundred or whatever. So there's right. you know depending on convenience price point, um, and people make 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 decisions on that, you know. So uh, you know there's you know we we have now well, that route now into Macau from the bridge. Obviously, you know it's it's, it's another it's just another way to get to Macau across the bridge on the ferry. And so there's, you know, it depends on people's right. uh, it, it, sensitivity. It's such a stark number, isn't it? It's such a big difference. I mean, sixty-six dollars yeah, on the bus and two hundred or more on a on a hydrofoil. Well, it's just it's just price point. I mean, I was on a ferry too because it's it's, it's convenient to get into Shenzhen and Central. So people make those decisions as part of their their their, their travel. Jr., how are we going to get more back? Can we get Lionel Messi to come here every month? Well, there's certainly been requests for that, and we haven't had a lot of concerts. I understand there's a couple of big ones coming up, I think, in March. But, uh, yeah, we haven't had concerts and big entertainment for a long time. And as those people pass through the greater uh, Asian area, they're going to Tokyo and Seoul and even Singapore, but they, they're not coming to us. So maybe that uh, can help get a few more people down. Uh, and and I think it would add to the attractiveness of coming down and spending a weekend in Hong Kong as opposed to not. Uh, so you can see somebody big, whoever that may be. But uh, I think that would certainly help. And it's been lacking for quite some time as we all know. And uh, Professor McCartney, I mean, uh, we, we talked about uh, how, I mean, you, you you come to Hong Kong quite often. And what do you think uh, Hong Kong can do to attract more visitors? Oh, now, I, I, I mean, I've been going to Hong Kong historically for, 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 few, for 20 something years. So, I mean, I, I know Hong Kong well. I know where to go. I know where, which, which uh, restaurants, bars and, and streets to go to. So, I mean, for me as a visitor, I've been come multiple times. So the information you can give to me doesn't need to be so much informed. I just you have a festival here and a concert here. But I think the issue is defining who's a first time visitor and people like me who's been there multiple times is also is an issue, too, if you want to get first time visitors or second time visitors. They don't the information to them um, compared to the information to me. That that's also very important to identify uh, on on the the traveller mix and their and their backgrounds as well. You know, um, social media plays a very important point at the moment, as we know globally in, in travel and tourism. And there's a lot of information being shared on between people. Yeah, we talked about um, the younger generation on the move, the Generation Z, who. Prior to COVID, were like 17, 18, 19 years old. Now they're 22, 23. They're moving into that that age bracket, and it's how to dent, for example, that new new traveller source. Right. I wanted to come back to JR on this rental issue because I think it goes to the heart of competitiveness. Uh, what kind of contracts are landlords insisting? They want a percentage of the gross, or uh, a percentage of the gross, and a guaranteed minimum, or exactly how does it work? Well, each one is slightly different, uh, Mike, but uh, on the whole, kind of regularly, yes, they, uh, they want the protection on the downside by, by making it, uh, okay, you have to pay 100 per month. That's your base, just an abstract number. Right. And then, uh, but boy, if you do really good, 
Yeah, we got the, the percentage of sales, which used to be 12%. Now it's about 15 in most cases. And, and at the airport authority, it's even higher, although I'm not sure how those, those are working these days. So, yeah, the landlords have been pretty pretty strict on it. but And I don't see them turning back. Um, we have some tough landlords and we have some kind landlords. So I won't describe the, the, <laughs> disclose names, but uh, some of them are pretty understanding and some are less so. And... Uh, but I, I really think that that's an issue that, uh, that, and I don't know how you deal with it because that has the, the income for the rest of income for the, the landowner turns around and, and impacts the value that the bank will loan money on, et cetera. And for the big developers, that could be quite serious if, if they had a across the board downturn in, in rental income. So we're really between a rock and a hard spot in my view. And I don't have the ultimate solution, but it is an issue that the uh, cost of labor and the cost of rent in Shenzhen is, is taking a lot of business away from Hong Kong. All right, uh, Mr. Robertson, uh, we have to take a short news break. Uh, Let's continue our discussion afterwards in around uh, two minutes' time. And uh, if you want to ask our guests questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Cool in the morning, dry during the day with a top temperature of around 22 degrees. Winds light to moderate northeasterlies. And the outlook mild with sunny intervals over the next couple of days. Right now it's 18 degrees, relative humidity 61%. It's now 9.30. Here's the news with Todd Harding. SAR officials say they're working with the families of a Hong Konger killed in a head-on car crash in northern Guangdong province on Christmas Day, as well as two Hong Kong residents injured in the incident. The accident happened near Le Chang, a county-level city in Shaoguan Prefecture, close to the border with Hunan province. The head of the Israeli army says there are no shortcuts to destroying Hamas in the Gaza Strip and it could take many more months of war. The US military says its warships deployed in the eastern Mediterranean have shot down 12 drones and five missiles fired by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen over the southern Red Sea. And Argentina's new president, Javier Millet, has signed a decree cancelling the contracts of 7,000 public sector workers. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Before taking tutorial classes or enrolling in courses such as commerce, language and computing provided by private schools offering a non-formal curriculum, think about whether it is really necessary. If so, check whether the school is registered with the Education Bureau. Read the course and fee information carefully, pay monthly and never pay the course fee in one lump sum by any means, including credit card. Keep formal receipts. For details, visit the Education Bureau website. During events with a large crowd, always observe order and follow police instructions to stay safe. Before you set off, check on special traffic arrangements by browsing related online platforms. Also, use public transport as far as possible. Look after your personal belongings too. Observe order and stay safe in crowded situations. Welcome back. This is uh, Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Mike Krause and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is J.R. Robertson, Director of El Grande Group, and Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor of Tourism at the University of Macau. Yeah. Uh, J.R., I want to come back to you on this competitiveness issue. 
Um, I'm a consumer, a customer. I'm having a party tomorrow night at the Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel. Um, so putting some money there. But I contacted them uh, yesterday and said, look, originally we said 20 people. It now looks more like 30. Is that okay? And the answer came back within within a few minutes. Sure, um, we'll give you three table spaces in, instead of two. Um, on the other hand, I'm booking for a lunch on Friday with uh, a downtown restaurant. With, there's only nine of us. And the condition is that we all have to pre-order uh, by today. That is... Uh, we've got to firm up exactly the number and we've all got to say what our main course will be uh, by today. Uh, that doesn't sound competitive to me. Pre-order by today? Yes, for Friday I mean, lunch. One, one thing that's happened, now you're talking about Friday, and, and one thing that, that I learned from the guys at the peak and I learned from the guys in Stanley uh, Everybody ran out of food. They had so many people, they ran out of food, and it was hard to get any deliveries. Uh, some suppliers <laughs> were delivering, but not many. And uh, so the, the menu was short. Now, I, I can't imagine that it's going to be so busy on Friday that you need to order today. But then uh, I won't comment because I don't know the restaurant. But that's that's bizarre. Uh, next time, Mike, you book one of my restaurants, and we'll take care of you. And you can order on the spot. <laughs> you're, you're a good man. I, I tell everybody. But it's not across the board. Okay. I think there is scope for improvement, um, and even within Hong Kong. We see the difference there. Going from 20 to 30 is not a problem. Uh, fewer than 10 can be a problem. That rather suggests, like, like you're saying, the supply chain is maybe not working as well as it should. Or you think this huge surges in demand can really upset things. Well, I think that the, that impact is, uh, as I say, the, up at the peak and down in Stanley, and I'm not sure where else, but I understand from the central police station folks that uh, it was pretty deadsville over the weekend. So I guess some of us are all stocked up with inventory <laughs> and, and others are dying. And, of course, uh, it was a long, long weekend relative to the suppliers and getting trucks on the road and getting food in and out. So it's been quite challenging. And maybe it's a carryover or a hangover from that effect. All right. And Mr. Robertson, I mean, you mentioned uh, you talked about labor earlier uh, before the news. Um, what is the labor situation right now? I mean, I, I did go out a few times. I went to a few restaurants and uh, it did look like uh, they didn't have for many staff that were, were actually serving customers. Um, what is the uh, situation like right now? I didn't quite follow that, but um, like the, the number of, of the day, is it? number of staff. Do Go we ahead, have enough? Say, say again. I went out a few times, and uh, at the restaurants, they didn't seem to have uh, many uh, staff that were serving customers. Is there still a shortage problem? Staff shortage uh, problem? Yeah, there is. There, there continues to be a labor shortage in Hong Kong in in the uh, catering industry. There's no question. And uh, up until very recently, I think you could ask just about anybody, any operator in town, and they could take about ten or twenty people immediately. Although I think that's slowed down a little bit now. I know for myself, uh, I've closed three restaurants in the last, three small operations in the last 30 days. And so we've been shuffling the staff around and, and we found a position for just about everybody. Uh, one or two decided to go down the road to some uh, other operator. But uh, I think it's uh, getting a little bit better. But then again, uh, 
on, uh, as I noticed up at the peak. I think they had a lot of part-time people they called. I mean, they were just swamped with uh, with business. And the way that we had was fantastic. But I noticed a few others around that looked like they were uh, asleep and didn't know what to do and what the table numbers were. So I think there was a lot of uh, transition from labor staff going up to desperate areas uh, right. on the, over the long weekend. But overall, yes, I think there is a shortage of good staff. And uh, the, the last few years, even with the epidemic and everything else, everybody knows if you're not happy here, they can go down the street and Monday they'll have a new job. Right. And, I just uh, want to go back to the point where you, you just said that you closed uh, three restaurants over the past 30 days. Is that what you just uh, said? I did say that. And the reason for that is? <laughs> well, the reason is because they're not making money. And uh, <laughs> I, I will not, in this, in the, the instance of uh, both of the, all, all three, uh, it, it's not so much a question of the landlord. In uh, one place I can name is Slim's. We've been there for 17 years. It's on the side of PP3. Right. And one try. And uh, it's like losing a child or something. But what, what can you do if you lose money every month through 2023? And I, we tried free French fries at nine o'clock. We tried uh, all kinds of different things. And, uh, you know, you can lower prices, but you lower prices, you get lower sales, uh, generally speaking. So it just came to a point that how long can you keep operating and losing money? All right. Slims, so, Slims is an institution. No I can't believe you closed Slims. Okay. <laughs> what about uh, price? Me too. The salaries. Are the salaries manageable or demands unrealistic? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, Slim's got, got to such a point that there's no business on the weekend, so we close on Sunday and public holiday. So that really helps in terms of the working schedule. But there's just there's no business. It's all Monday to Friday, and it builds to Friday. Friday is big, and Saturday, <laughs> you do two or 3,000 Hong Kong sales all day. Sunday we were down to one to two thousand. We had the room just closed, and eventually you, you can't pay rent and, and do everything. And I'm not I'm not saying anything about the landlord. They were fine. They they were willing to help, but there wasn't enough help. Even free rent, we were still going to lose money the way it was going. So after 17 years, say the reason we have to move on. And people have moved on. It's a different uh, it's a different population that uh, is being served. All these. Uh, bankers and lawyers and what have you, a lot of these guys are gone because they're not doing IPOs and there's not enough work and, and there's opening up for highly skilled people to come to Hong Kong and it's 82% or something like that are mainlanders and the mainlanders aren't coming and, and eating nachos and hamburgers and beer. So uh, it's a different market. And they just, uh, I don't know how to cater to them, so... The easiest answer was to close. What about other restaurant groups? Uh, what have you been hearing? Are they also closing down some restaurants because of uh, a change in uh, uh, or a different population that uh, you're serving? Hello? That's for me. Yes. Well, have you, have, yeah, a what? lot of restaurants are under a lot of pressure. And uh, I can tell you, uh, having spent many years in the import distribution business as well through the catering industry, uh, virtually all of the import distributors over the course of two or two, three are having a hard time. The sales are down, overheads are up, and freeze. Uh, and, and, and just, it's down. I mean, everybody's down 10, 20% in, in the distribution sales. Well, if you've been going along with ever increasing sales, 
And then all of a sudden you get hit with something like that, and it's hard to go back. And those landlords in the warehouses and the rest, they're not interested. All right. <laughs> they, you pay more, you pay more next year, and that's it. Otherwise, you right. let's, let's go. Is a lot let's go back to Glenn care. and get a view of the trends. Glenn, you're an, an academic, your associate professor, so you're a big picture guy. Uh, how do you see the major trends now? Um, well, one point, one of the trends, of course, is the younger generation on the move. Um, right. I've seen that myself in Macau as I joined a little eater, a little ice cream shop. I joined EQ at the very, very back uh, a few days ago in, in St. Paul's Ruins, and I had to go to the very back of the queue. But most people in front of you, young people taking photographs of, of what they're eating and, <laughs> and sending it all. Um, and, and but I mean yeah, but the, 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 we're eating ice cream and it's cold, you know. <laughs> it's, but it's 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 that's that's the sort of that's one trend you will see is the younger generation and how they're also sharing in social media and the conversations they're having with their large they they're influencers. I mean you have the professional influencers and, and celebrity endorsers, but yeah, but so that's one trend. Um, another trend too is because. Um, I think coming out of your pent-up demand, people have probably an expectations when they when they go on holiday now is is um, they want to do, do more right and experience more. And to the point of I think what you were talking about is is how do you all these places? I went to Hong Kong uh, when I was in Hong Kong, and I went to these places that I generally would go to. But how can you spread the tourism around to other regions that everybody gets an economic benefit? And so the issue is, of course. The, the travelers now want, but it's getting the information that you should go to this little place, but they weren't aware of it. Or how do we get that information out? Because, yeah, people are really walking the same sort of track pathway. I can see that. And the thing is, like then, and working with the public and private sector is how do we, you know, um, put some event or something happening over there and then move move the tourism to a certain you know these the, these groups and to other areas not just within the these um, um we call honey pots we call them tourism we just try to move them a little bit more out of these these zones and right. that's that because that, that, now the tourists today really want more um experiential or experience which means um you know not just you know going going eating in a restaurant but they also want to how to present how they're going to share that and the, the service quality you mentioned i'm hearing service quality perspectives as well so that's very very important i mean to the issue of being being competitive all right. Earlier, our other guest, uh, Annie Fonda, the executive director of the Travel Industry Authority, she said uh, more innovation was needed in Hong Kong. Um, Professor McCartney, what, what sort of innovations do you think uh, we can uh, sort of uh, um, take on? That's that's very important. Innovation is, is crucial to tourism. I mean, we have, uh, we have to sort of how do we tweak things and make things a little bit different every month? How do we do things? Where it be a menu promotion or such in restaurants and so forth? But, uh, of course, innovation can be technical innovate using technology, social media. Um, it could be... Um, you know, like when we, when I'm going to Hong Kong, I, I just use my thumbprint to get into the immigration points and stuff. So immigration makes things more convenient, faster, because you know, me me traveling you know, on a bus is all very good and it's part of the traveling. But my experience will start perhaps more when I get there. So the thing is, how do you get people there faster, conveniently, and getting things access? That's very very important too. So I I, I think the technology that helps that. Is, is, is very important, and I see it a lot. I mean, if, um, I, you know, people using their mobile devices, where I be a QR code scanning and stuff like that. So technical innovations are very important too. And I think uh, 
all the emphasis on the GBA until we're all sick of the initials and sick of talking about the Greater Bay Area. But is it ours? Is it as convenient to to move around? Can we? Can we? Are there things that we could do? And I, I've I've also um, I mean Hong Kong, Macau, and the Greater Bay Area. So I think for the regional longer haul travel, there's an issue of collaboration. That we, you know, we've been talking about this for years about all the cities working in alliance. You know, people come for you know five days, six days from a regional or international travel that we we share a little bit, two days, two days, two days, or, or whatever we do it. But the thing is, because of that, it's a very powerful, you call the Greater Bay Area, is a very powerful um, destination statement, and it can be very attractive and appealing. But then, you, of course, you have to have you know, everybody collaborating together to, to, and of course, there's going to be a level of competition, but at the end of the day, you're gaining international visitation, and you everybody has a little bit of that to each city. Now, that, that will be, I think, for a future, you know, t- as we work on our tourism master planning and so forth, how do we engineer that in the future? And then working with airlines and so forth. There's a lot of stakeholders involved, but I think that would be important for Hong Kong, Macau and Guangdong region and the Hing Ching that we're all developing. If we all can sit down, I think the regional international travel can benefit from that. And uh, Mr. Robertson, what, what sort of innovation do you think Hong Kong needs? To maybe uh, encourage people uh, yeah, to, to I'm, spend I'm, more, maybe, or visit Hong Kong more? No, you know what? I, I, I'm not real sure. I, we said some concerts and what have you. Um, you know, you, you go to Thailand to go to the beach. I don't know what you go to Singapore for. You go to Tokyo because the yen is cheap and everybody's enjoying uh, Japanese food and Japanese products. Uh, Hong Kong, I I don't know. You know. I've been here a long, long time. Not quite as long as Mike, but almost. And uh, I don't know, innovation. I mean, uh, yeah, we have, well, we got a less less golf course, but uh, yeah, I don't know, golf courses and attractions and Ocean Park with big hotels and shiny, and, and yet uh, we're not getting the numbers that we should. And uh, it may be a cost factor. It may be simply if the, it was a lower price. And uh, I haven't been to Phuket for a while, but I guess you can go to Phuket and not pay so much hotel bill as you might if you were coming to Hong Kong. Um, festivals, we've got the horse racing. Uh, we've got a lot of things in the hill walking in the countryside in Hong Kong, but they don't promote the hillside and the country walking so much. And uh, maybe other people are not interested in that. Uh, I certainly am, although I don't walk so much these days. But, uh, yeah, I just I, – I don't know what else we can do. We had – I mean, there was there was one thing was the uh, floating rest of the jumbo restaurant in Aberdeen, and it's gone. And that was a, in every tour brochure you ever saw. So, I don't know. We've taken away some things, and uh, I don't know. That's right. Like I, I've said in previous shows, I really enjoy taking people – Westerners who come and visit me in Hong Kong for the last 49 years, and uh, I'd love to take them to Temple Street and the uh, the Poor Man's Nightclub and these places. And they're just fascinating. But those places are all, all neutered. So <laughs> I'm uh, surprised you said Tycoon uh, had a quiet uh, Christmas. Um, I I don't know differently, but it seemed to to be on the up. It seemed to be becoming more popular. But uh, what's becoming more popular, Mike? Tycoon, the old central police station. You, you well, said I'm just, quiet... this is a report for the weekend. Yeah. This is a report from somebody's said Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, 
they weren't reporting on yesterday. The guy took the day off yesterday, but he said it was very quiet in in that area. I, I, I was not, surprised as well because I, I go up there on a Saturday afternoon on occasion, right. and it's pretty open. There's no night. There doesn't seem to be a night market on Hong Kong Island. The the three on the on the when you Google it, the night markets are all in Kowloon. I just wondered why we didn't have one on Hong Kong Island. Well, we used to have it at the Macau Ferry, but that was That's years right. ago. That's right. I remember that one. Well, I'm very old. <laughs> and like you've been here a long time. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. Uh, we lost that one. I would have thought Tycoon would be a natural place uh, for something similar. Well, I suppose. And, of course, they used to have the uh, the, the the boats behind the uh, yacht club, the little floating restaurant boats, and uh, that was kind of attractive and something different. Right, but in those the Tycoon kind of Shelter, yeah. Yeah, in a typhoon shelter. And, yeah, there's a big courtyard or whatever you want to call it, parade ground in the middle of the central police station. Uh, and I, I have seen some things there, but uh, I don't see that it's attractive. It attracts people, but it doesn't attract me. All okay. right, uh, Mr. Robertson, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program. And I'm sure we'll have uh, many opportunities in future to discuss this topic again. Um, that's uh, J.R. Robertson, Director of El Grande Group. And also many thanks to uh, Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor of Tourism at the University of Macau. It's now 9 or coming up to 9.50. And in a moment, we'll find out more about the use of artificial intelligence in colorectal cancer detection. Operation Santa Claus 2023 is on. The annual charity fundraising drive jointly organized by Radio Television Hong Kong and the South China Morning Post is, for the 36th time, helping those in Hong Kong who need it the most. Operation Santa Claus has raised more than 369 million Hong Kong dollars for over 338 wonderful charity projects over the years. If you would like to help by donating any amount at all or by arranging your own fundraising event, just go to our website for all the details. OSCHK.org. Listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. A study by researchers at the Chinese University has found that artificial intelligence or AI can act as an advisor to less experienced doctors, improving their ability to detect bowel cancer by increasing the chance of finding abnormal cells in the colon. 22 doctors with less than three years' experience took part in the study between 2021 and 2022. To tell us more about the study, we're now joined on the line by Dr. Louis Lau, Assistant Professor from the Chinese University's Department of Medicine and Therapeutics. Good morning, Dr. Lau. Good morning. I'm Dr. Louis Lau. Very nice to meet you. Yes, thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Dr. Lau, how does this uh, use of AI improve the uh, detection of colorectal cancer? Yes, as you correctly mentioned, I think uh, artificial intelligence, AI, is moving very uh, fast in uh, every field, including like uh, the general fields like ChatGPT, auto driving, and also in medicine. And apart from um, uh, simple data management, actually the AI can analyze images very good. So um, in view of this, we try to develop a clinical trial to validate the use of AI in colonoscopy because uh, colonoscopy are mostly performed by um, us 
human and uh, is prone to human errors like the recognition error, like missing those small and flat uh, polyps in the colon, and also um, uh, it also uh, um, the experience of the doctors also play an important role, and therefore we try to uh, and develop this research. And our research is basically um, more focused on the junior doctors. So uh, we recruited 22 um, junior doctors with less than three years of experience and also less than uh, 500 cases and uh, for the study. And uh, for this study, we try to recruit uh, patients who uh, are undergoing colonoscopy for investigation of different symptoms. And then we randomize them in one-to-one ratio. So half of them will receive uh, AI-assisted colonoscopy, and half of them will receive the standard colonoscopy. And uh, very uh, encouragingly um, showing that um, our results show that um, the adenoma detection rate, which is defined as the number of adenoma in each colonoscopy, um, divided by the total number of the uh, people receiving colonoscopy, which can be increased by AI for uh, 13% absolutely, and also around 40% relatively. So the result is quite encouraging, and uh, we think that this uh, new technology can benefit more patients in the future. Right. Dr. Lau, what made you choose colonoscopy as a, as a one for this trial? Uh, I think uh, currently AI is uh, actually uh, developing in many fields in the medicine, including right. radiology, pathology, and also our get, uh, field of gastroenterology. So uh, for now, um, most mature technology uh, is still the colonoscopy, because uh, first of all, um, the colonos- uh, colonoscopy screening is very popular uh, in many parts of the world, including Hong Kong. Hong Kong has the government-led um, uh, CRC screening, uh, uh, launched in uh, 2016, and it's also a very common cancer, the second commonest cancer in Hong Kong. So we think that we must do something to reduce the disease burden in this locality. And also uh, for the technology development, since um, usually this AI image analysis will require a lot of pictures and also um, uh, videos to feed the computer so that they can generate an algorithm to detect le- uh, subtle lesions that may be missed right. by human. So yeah. the, the AI will learn from from your study? Uh, no, actually, um, our study is a, to, uh, a clinical trial to validate right. developed system because the system is already developed. It's fed by like many thousands of uh, videos and also pictures to uh, detect those uh, subtle lesions. I'm sure humans won't miss large lesions like large cancer or large polyps. But uh, these small lesions can be easily missed uh, because it's reported around 26% of these uh, precancerous polyps can be missed by uh, traditional colonoscopy due to different factors. Do you retest the control group using AI? Um, This study is developed uh, as a parallel study. So for now, we uh, only perform one colonoscopy for each um, group. So um, the overall objective um, of this is to validate whether this can help to uh, strengthen and also um, uh, the performance 
of our daily routine because uh, it's hard to ask our patients to do two colonoscopies at a time. Right. And second, yes, and secondly, um, I think um, it actually reflects our uh, usual um, uh, performance of the colonoscopy. And uh, uh, but to be reassured that uh, the very very small polyps will be uh, surveyed uh, in a few years, so uh, the patients will. Uh, not having any extra additional width uh, in the control group. Right. Okay. So how often should people do a colonoscopy, in your view? Um, yeah, I think uh, for now, um, as I just mentioned, our government encouraged the CRC screening. So um, any um, asymptomatic people who are aged between 50 and 75 should be undergoing any kind of colonos- uh, CRC screening by means of either the stool test or a colonoscopy. And uh, for those who just get a colonoscopy done, it depends on their results. So if your colonoscopy is totally normal, then you can come back at 10 years. On the contrary, if your colonoscopy shows many, many uh, polyps, including the large or the advanced ones, then uh, you should come back earlier, like in a three years or even sometimes even in one year interval, uh, because there are chances that uh, there are more and also um, the new onset uh, polyps that may be missed in the index one. All right. So, Dr. Lau, from, from the uh, results of your finding, your research, can we say that AI-assisted detection is uh, better at detecting adenomas or, or abnormal cells than the uh, conventional method? Yes, I am quite, I'm quite confident to say that. In fact, apart from our studies, there are many... Uh, international studies who uh, investigate similar uh, topics as well. And it showed that, uh, but most of them are actually involving those expert endoscopists, like those who are very experienced, more than 10 years. But um, our study um, is novel uh, because it's targeting the junior doctors who are less experienced. And I think this may be more more relevant um, in clinical practice because uh, junior doctors need training and training needs time and also resources. Therefore, I think uh, in the future, AI may play an important role in training new doctors to do these colonoscopy and also learn from the AI, which actually was trained by many experienced doctors. Because if you know how we train an AI, it actually requires experienced doctors to annotate and also mark the abnormal areas that um, will be highlighted and the computer learn it and then it's displayed on the monitor. So the junior doctors may benefit a lot from this. All right, uh, Dr. Lau, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us on the program. That's uh, Dr. Louis Lau, Assistant Professor from the Chinese University's Department of Medicine and Therapeutics. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and, uh, of course, to our guest presenter, Mike, and producer, Raphael. I'll be back again uh, with another edition of uh, Back Chat tomorrow with uh, Philip Wong.